First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church family. Many of you will uh, remember, if you've been a part of our church uh, family for a number of years, uh, a couple of times that we have had a ministry called Life Action. Uh, that has been here with us. About uh, five or six years ago, uh, we had a 15-day revival that spanned the course of three Sundays uh, with Life Action. And then just a few years ago, we had uh, a shorter conference that Life Action came and led uh, for us. And over the course of the past few years, I've been privileged to be able to serve uh, on the advisory council for uh, this great ministry that leads and revivals uh, throughout uh, the churches of North America. And um, in that time, in fact, uh, last fall, I had the chance to go up to their headquarters in Michigan and meet several of the leaders uh, of this uh, great ministry. And of all the folks that I had the privilege to meet there, uh, one that uh, really just had a great uh, impact on me is the president of Life Action, John Avan. And John is our guest speaker here with us today. And uh, John uh, served before coming to the presidency of Life Action. Uh, He served uh, as a pastor for 35 years. Uh, in churches uh, in several states, Texas, Georgia, Louisiana, and uh, Tennessee. Uh, For a time, he also served as the vice president of the North American Mission Board. Uh, John has uh, also authored uh, several books, and some of those will be available right after uh, our services today. Uh, But uh, also, I want to share about uh, John's family. John and his wife, uh, Donna, uh, have uh, three uh, grown children and five grandchildren and a six That'll be born, I believe, in about a month or so, uh, adding to, uh, to the family. And uh, they currently live in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, John, I know we uh, set up this date of June 2nd, uh, I think more than six months ago. I think it was sometime last fall. And I've uh, been looking forward uh, to your coming and to bringing God's word uh, to us today. And it's a powerful word in the first service. And I look forward to hearing from you. So church family, would you welcome John Avan as he comes to share with us. Well, good morning, church. Man, I've looked so forward to this day to be with you. Uh, I've been uh, president of Life Action for uh, a little more than a year and a half, and one of my first goals um, was to connect personally with as many of the churches uh, that I could that have have been our our best supporters over the years. You know, when you're a ministry like ours, there's about uh, 300 missionaries in the various parts of Life Action Ministries. Um, everybody's uh, traveling all the time all over the, the, the country and serving churches and colleges and seminaries and uh, a family camp that's now in full swing for the summer and, and a, a lodge where we help pastors and, and others when they just need a break. All, all of that going on, man, we, we, it's easy to get distant from the local church um, as far as our, our own relationships. And I, I, I don't want that to happen. I want to be able to say personally thank you to the churches like yours who are you know, among the most supportive churches in the country of Life Action. You've sent your pastor to be able uh, to, to serve us. Uh, he's become a friend. Uh, loved, loved the time we had together um, last night and just hearing all that God is, is doing in your church. Um, the, the health of it is pretty rare these days. Don't take that for granted. And um, just, just love what God is doing there. And then um, you've used us more than once. And talking about, I know, a, again, uh, these things mean a lot to us. And you've sent people to serve full-time with Life Action. Some of you may know the name Brian Springham 
who grew up uh, in this church. You've sent him. You're his sending church, supportive church. And I want to tell you, this young man is a leader. And the Southern Baptist Convention coming up, I'll be interviewing a, a lot of, uh, of, of key leaders in our convention. And Brian's helping put all that together. I, I really don't know what we would do without Brian Springham. And when I know a young man like that and see the kind of character he has, and then I, I know already a lot about the church when he says, man, I'm so excited you're going to my home church. They're awesome. All right, so thank you from the bottom of my heart, from all of us at Life Action, for helping us do what, what we do. We have a passion to take a very simple, but I think desperately needed message to the churches, colleges, seminaries of America, and even across the world, that God still revives, He still does fresh new work when we hear Him and say yes to Him. Now, I, I want to I talk to you this morning uh, about a message that is brand new on my heart. It is, it is burning in my heart. Uh, it's as fresh as anything I've preached in a long time, and I've entitled it Suffering Forward. Suffering Forward. How does suffering in our lives become a step forward, which it always should be. It feels like it's a step back. Biblically, when we suffer with or for Jesus, it's never a step back. It's always forward. But how do we live that way? Now, my guess is when you hear this title, you're a little surprised. You may be thinking, okay, this guy leads one of the largest revival ministries in our country. How come he's not preaching about revival when he's kind of got one shot with us? And here's the answer to that. I am going to preach about revival. This time last week, I tried not to get emotional in talking about some of this, but it's been a very emotional couple of weeks in a good way. Uh, a week ago today, uh, I preached at a very, very different place in a very different setting because um, I had led two uh, life action teams of young, young adult missionaries overseas. Uh, we want to join what God is doing in the world, not just in our own country. And so a week ago, uh, I worshipped in the Muslim world. I worshiped with a group of believers who came carefully into a building that's not their own. No one in that country um, has a church building of their own. And I, I watched as I stood next to the door um, talking with, um, with those who were coming in. And I watched how they would shut the door and lock it and look through the peephole before each person would come in to make sure they're not someone who will do harm since not that long ago, not very uh, far from that building, great harm was done by terrorists to a lot of people. Uh, and then we began to worship. If you happen to follow me on, on, uh, on, on Facebook, um, I, I, I had to film what was happening, but I couldn't because I couldn't show any faces. Uh, and so I just pointed the, the camera at the ground and, 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 just, uh, and, and just let people hear the incredible worship lifted up to the king by people who live there, many of them, uh, because you pay their salary, because, um, because they're missionaries um, who live there, and, and serve those others who had come to Christ, who were there with him, and I'm just, who were there with them. And I'm I just listening to this incredible worship as they sung at the top of their lungs, worshiping and praising the king in a place where anyone who comes to Jesus is going to suffer. How does anybody come to Jesus in a place like this? Here's a problem we face right now. Here's the reason why, as I preach about suffering, I'm preaching about revival. In the American church, we have, we have come to believe something that is patently unbiblical, that the church exists to make us happy. 
So church is good when we like the preaching and when we like the music and we like things that are happening. I don't know where in the world we came up with that idea, but listen, church is not about you and it's not about me. It's about the glory of a great king and it's about his mission. And we ought to be willing to come if we hated everything that happened except the Word of God. But we see lost people saved and being discipled and lives being healed and changed because it's not meant to be about us. And on the other side of the world, usually when we hear about the Muslim world, we're, we're listening to the news, we're watching the news, which maybe we should just stop it. I think a lot of Christians get more from the news station than they do from the Word of God. And so we think that surely right now everything happening in the Muslim world is horrible. They're killing everyone, and it's all war and violence. So here's what you won't hear that's happening in the Muslim world right now unless you dig deeper into what God is doing there. In the last 15 years, very short time, more Muslims have come to Jesus in the last 15 years than the previous 1,500 years. We are in the greatest days of revival and awakening in the history of the world. The problem is you've got to get on an airplane to see it. Almost everywhere except America and Europe, we're in massive revival. The missionaries whose salaries you pay in the country I just left two days ago, they baptized 100 Muslims recently in a six-month period. And every one of them knew they would be persecuted, they'd lose their homes, lose their families, lose their jobs, but Jesus was worth it for them. Here's why a message about suffering is a message about revival. After a lot of study and a lot of watching and a lot of experience now over the last few decades in the persecuted church, I've come to this conclusion. There is no revival without suffering. It just doesn't happen. Even in this country, if you want to experience revival, then you're going to have to know how to suffer. Everybody suffers. But the problem is, in our country, we we think that the key to happiness is avoiding all of it that we can. But but in in the Muslim world, or in places like China, where there's now more born-again believers than there are communists. Do you hear that? More born-again believers than communists. They can't stop the kingdom of God's advance. But sometimes we stop it ourselves by thinking we just got to sit back and consume and enjoy church. And God's saying, no, 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 no. If you want to get on an airplane, he said, I'll show you what church looks like. I'll show you what I'm doing across the world, and I'd love you to join. My first time in the persecuted church, um, I saw a pastor, and his hands were gnarled up like this because he spent seven years in a, in a horrible a prison where uh, they told him his family had died and his wife had left him and there was no heat in the winter and he, his hands just frozen in place. He suffered horribly for seven years and, and, and that had now changed and he was free and the church was jammed full. This was in former Soviet Union and they could worship now. But I asked him one day, I said, Pastor Constantine, I have a question for you. How did you endure that? And he was taken aback. He said, you're, you're a pastor? You don't know the answer to that? I said, I don't think so. I said, I don't, think, I don't think anybody I know in the American church knows how to answer that. How did you endure seven years of that torture? He said, Pastor John, everybody here knows the answer to that. Jesus is enough. And I waited for the top ten list of things to do after Jesus is enough. Then you do this and this and this. He just looked at me and turned around and walked away. I've never gotten over it. The problem with the church in America is that we've forgotten that Jesus is enough. 
And so we really think there's got to be something else we need. It's got to be the way it used to be. It's got to be what I like. This has to happen my way. Got to have this. Got to have that. And Jesus is just saying, whenever, whenever you are ready to come to a decision that I really am enough, I'll bring revival to you like I'm doing on the other side of the world. So I want to show you a passage of Scripture that is so rich and so powerful and so incredible. I believe it is the key to revival in our lives the way it has been overseas. You see, suffering is meant to be a gospel journey forward. Listen to the Word of God. I would would say that what I'm about to read you uh, is God saying to you and to me, to all of us, that everything you need comes through the doorway of suffering. It's counterintuitive. It makes no sense, but we see it happening all over the church and the world today, and we can have it here too. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, all right, we've been saved. We know him by faith. We have peace with God. Man, anybody need peace today? He says you have it. You have all you need through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. He says, listen, whatever you face, you can stand. Why? Because my grace is enough for you. Just like Pastor Constantine. One day we've just got to come to a place where we're just so astonished by Jesus. He's enough for everything we need. That's what Romans 5 tells us is the truth. And so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not, Not in anything about me. It's not about me. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's all we need. More than that. What in the world would be more important than that? Whatever he's about to say, according to the Word of God, Romans chapter 5, right here, God's voice speaking to us, what he's going to say next is the most important thing of all in your life. Here you go. We rejoice in our sufferings. Wow. Now, he's not saying we like suffering or we, we say, Lord, pile it on. Give me some more. No, that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that in our sufferings, we rejoice. Why? Because there's a good reason for that. Knowing, this is what we know by faith, that suffering produces endurance. Anybody need that? Anybody sometimes just feel like giving up? And endurance produces character. Man, is there anything we need more in this country today than men and women of character? I mean, there's almost no place to look anymore where you can trust anybody in the various roles of our nation. And character produces hope. Anybody need hope today? And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Wow, that's everything we need in life. There's nothing you need that's not right there. And the good news about that is you are qualified to have it. Because the only qualification we have here, we just read it, is that you're saved. You know Jesus. You've been justified by faith. Everything else, he gives you by grace, and you suffer. And you know what? All of us suffer. And so we are qualified to have everything we need for an incredible life on this world and then to step out of this world and into eternity. That is amazing news. And if we'll begin to live that way, then we're going to see, I believe we're going to see revival in this nation. I don't want to spend the rest of my life only telling stories about what happens overseas. I love what I'm seeing overseas. I love the fact that I just hung around with people who suffer in in ways that are unimaginable, like the young man who was sitting with us and telling us his story, 
about how he'd come to Christ, led to Christ by his best friend, who the missionaries, who you pay their salaries, had led to Christ a week before that. You know how it happened? They were driving around with this guy, this Muslim they were sharing with. They shared the gospel, and they drove by the ocean. And you know what he said? He said, hey, here's water right here. What keeps me from being baptized? That sound familiar to any of you Bible scholars? Sounded like something right out of the book of Acts. And they said, well, you realize what will happen if you're baptized? Yes, I'll lose my family, my home, my job. I'll be beaten up probably to a pulp. But here's water right here. What keeps me from being baptized? And they took him out and they baptized him and all those things happened that he thought would happen. He was out on the street homeless, but he called the missionaries a week later and he said, hey, I've led my best friend to Christ and I baptized him myself. What do we do next? This young man had a full scholarship to study in Europe. He's absolutely brilliant. He's trilingual. But he said, I can't leave here. None of my friends know Jesus. How can I leave them lost? You kind of get an idea of why revival's coming to places like that and not so much here? And we're sitting with these brothers and sisters who have been homeless for the gospel and who are so full of joy because Jesus is enough in their lives. All right, been pretty, this is pretty heavy. Let me lighten it up a little bit. Uh, we started really young. I can't believe we have grandchildren. I don't feel old enough to have them. But now that I do, let me tell you, they are cool. They are wonderful. How many of you have grandchildren? Isn't this like the greatest thing on the earth? I mean, they're just so cool. And then when you're tired of them, you just give them back to your kids. It's just so wonderful. I can't wait. I've been gone and traveling some. I travel 200 plus days a, a year, not complaining. I love what God's given me to do. This is a joyous season of life for my wife and I. But man, tonight I'm going to get home and I've, I'm going to be home about six days. I got time with my kids and grandkids. Cannot wait. My five-year-old grandson, William, uh, well, he just turned six, but when he was five, uh, he, he began to learn about the planets. He's brilliant. I don't know. He's the smartest grandchild in the world. Don't even argue with me. And um, he, he tells me all about the planets. And I, he knows more than I do. He knows all of them. He said one day, he tells me, Papa John, Papa John, Jupiter has a big wet spot. Oh, okay, oh, whatever. He tells me all the planets. Mercury's really hot. Oh, okay. And so he got through all of them, and I said, hey, William, you didn't mention Earth. What, what do you know about Earth? He goes, well, that's where I live with my mommy and daddy and keep all my stuff. I said, well, that's true. But then, then he goes, hey, very seriously, hey, Papa John, what planet are you from? <laughs> and after I finished laughing, I thought, I, man, I don't know anymore. I don't recognize this one. I mean, this coming fall will be the 40th anniversary of my ordination. I can't believe that. I was a 19-year-old pastor. I'm going to tell you, I don't recognize our nation or the church in North America from what it was when I began. Everything around us has changed. And sometimes we just go, God, how do we do it? Sometimes it feels like the ground, the very ground beneath us is, is kind of shaky. How do we live in the midst of the suffering of this world and the uncertainty of this world? Let's, let's try to draw from what we've just read and from some other scripture. See if we can answer that question. Let me give you, try to get practical with you and say, all right, so, so you, you want to be fully qualified for revival? You want to get in on what God's doing overseas? You want that? And, and the road to it, according to Romans 5, is suffering. So how then do you suffer? Here's number one. Present your suffering to God as an offering. Present your suffering to God as an offering. You're going to suffer, right? We all do. And so why not, in, instead of moaning and groaning about it, why don't we present it to him as an offering? Let me, um, 
Let me define suffering for us and make sure we understand what we're talking about. Suffering certainly comes in degrees, but I love the definition from Elizabeth Elliot. I think it kind of covers the whole realm of suffering. I also like when somebody gives a definition that they've actually really experienced something. Her husband, Jim Elliott, was martyred by the Alka Indians, launched a great mission uh, movement. Her second husband died of cancer. She's a sufferer. But here's, here's what she says suffering is. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. You may want to write that down, right? Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. You know what I like about this? This takes in all the scale of suffering. Because if we're, if we're saying, well, you know, I, I'm just, when those big things come, I sure hope I'm ready. Because we're all going to face them, right? We're, we're, we're all, we're all going to face suffering, big suffering someday. We're all going to die. So, you know, we're all going to have loved ones die. But if we wait to be, for those times, we may not really be ready to respond to those sufferings if we're not handling the daily disappointments. What, what do you have right now that you don't want? Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe you have cancer and you don't want it. Or maybe you just have a little bit of sadness. You're not sure why. Maybe a little bit of depression. We all get depressed sometimes, right? And maybe you just have a little bit of that and you're not sure why and you don't want it. Or maybe there's something that um, you want but you don't have. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe, um, maybe you want back the spouse that you love more than life that's now in heaven. Maybe you want your prodigal back, your son, your daughter, who's gone far, far from the Lord. Maybe it's not that big on the, the spectrum. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe you're younger and you don't yet have the relationship you want and, and you want it but you don't have it and causing you a little bit of sadness. You know, that's not the end of the world, but you know what? All that's suffering. So why don't, we just, why don't we just put it all together and say, whether, whether it's big or small in our lives, we have things we don't want, we want things we don't have, what do we do with that? Present it all to God as an offering. Here's, here's what I've done. I'd encourage you to do it. Take a piece of paper and write down. It's just for you, for nobody else. Write down those two categories. Here's what I have that I don't want. Here's what I want that I don't have. Maybe sometimes be really exhaustive. Write it all down. But maybe there's some things even now that jump, jump right out of your heart on that. Offer that to the Lord. Before you leave here today, I'm going to give you a chance to do it. Just offer it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I've got this. Don't want it. There's some things I, I, I don't have and I want. I offer it to you, Lord. Here it is. Use it however you want. And, and, and even start getting excited. Say, Lord, I'm taking you at your word. You told me that if I offer this back to you, and I rejoice in it, you're going to build endurance and character and hope and joy and love in me. I don't need anything else in the whole world except those things. And so, Lord, I offer it all to you. That's the beginning point. Number two, choose worship in your suffering. Choose to worship in your suffering. My spiritual coach, one of my two or three best friends in the whole world, um, is a man named Gary Witherall. I would encourage you to get Gary's book, Total Abandon. Uh, it's an amazing book. Um, I, just, I just spent the last couple of weeks a part of that with Gary. Um, Gary is the most joyous person I know. And uh, I, I had asked Gary if he would uh, help me lead our life action missionaries um, to the Muslim world. Uh, I've got a lot of experience in the Muslim world. He has more 
and especially in where we were going. I said, Gary, would you have time? Would you take time? Would you go with me? He said, man, I'll do it. And I want to tell you, there was so much joy. It, 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 sometimes it was almost strange. So we're walking down a very ho- the streets of a holy city in Islam. It's Ramadan. It's the holy month of fasting. We're looking around, and not any Westerners in sight. You know, there's people looking at us like they might not be glad that we're there. There's no church there. There's no Christian there. Not one in the city. There's no gospel witness there. And we're walking around laughing. (laughs) Because Gary laughs everywhere he goes. I've never met anybody with more joy. He's cracking jokes. He's talking about Jesus. He's, he's putting his arm around people. Man, isn't it great to be alive? This is the day the Lord has made. We get to live it today. Now, now that's, that's great to know all that about Gary. You know people like that, right? We all do. But you probably don't know anybody like that whose wife was murdered by Al-Qaeda. That's why my friend Gary is such an amazing human being. We became very close um, the year his wife was murdered. They were missionaries in southern Lebanon. And uh, she, they were just leading too many people to the Lord. <laughs> she was a nurse. She was, she was saving the lives of Muslim women in childbirth at a clinic they had opened there. They knew it was risky. They knew it was dangerous. And one day, uh, the terrorist cell decided there was enough, enough people hearing about Jesus from these folks. And they came one day to the clinic, and they shot Bonnie Witherall and killed her in cold blood. It took Gary a long time, years later, before he told me the full story of what happened on that day. Gary and I became very close. I often say I mentored him for the next year, and he's mentored me ever since. One day, he said, John, I want to tell you the full story of what happened. He said, when, when I got word of something terrible has happened, Bonnie's been shot, I sprinted from my home to the clinic. When I got there, um, there, were, uh, there were Lebanese soldiers all around. They grabbed me. They said, they're trying to try to kill you too. We got to take you away. He said, I had like superhuman strength. I burst through them to get to my wife. I was certain surely I could help her. He said, when I saw my wife, I knew that there was no human help to be had for her on this earth. Then he said, John, at that moment, I made a very critical decision in my life. I knew in my heart that if I did not worship at that moment, I might never worship again. And if I did not forgive in that moment, I might never forgive. He said, so I laid on my face, and I put my hands in the blood of my precious wife, and I sang to my king, and I worshiped. And I forgave the man who did it, and I got up. I never had to look back. A couple of years later, I did the wedding for Gary Witherall and his second wife. (laughs) The sovereignty of God is a strange thing because she's the granddaughter of a man named Roger Udarian. I mentioned Elizabeth Elliot, gave us that definition. Her husband, Jim Elliot, was martyred. Alongside of Roger Udarian, you've seen maybe the movie The End of the Spear. They were martyred together. And I remarried Gary to the granddaughter of a famous martyr. And today, with their four children now, they're taking the gospel to the same people who killed Gary's first wife. And now you know why God's bringing revival to places like that. Now, as far as I know, nobody's trying to get in here and harm us today. But we still have an opportunity to do the same thing Gary did. To say, Lord, I don't like my suffering Somebody's been cruel to me, mean to me. Somebody's mistreated me, maybe even in the church. I'm angry, Lord. But I offer this to you, and I forgive, and I worship, and I sing, and I rejoice because you really are enough, God. 
you really are enough. Open your Bible now to Isaiah chapter 6. I want to just take a few moments, and I want to show you a brief picture of the beauty of what God does when we actually do this, when we actually worship in the midst of our suffering. All right, let me set the background for you here, all right? So Isaiah is, is alive um, during the time of King Uzziah. And we find out in the first verse of Isaiah 6 that this is the year King Uzziah died. This is the greatest king since Solomon. Imagine if we had Abraham Lincoln as president for half a century. Okay? That's, that's what they had. The greatest king in history ruled for half a century. But at the end of his reign, this is why we've got to really guard our hearts. Arrogance and pride became the center of his life. And he decided that he not only wanted to be king, he wanted to be a priest too. And God struck him with leprosy, and he died a leper, and the country was in a shambles. They had gone from, from victory in battle and, and peace and financial prosperity and moral integrity and spiritual revival to degradation of every kind, and everyone was running away from God, but one man ran toward him. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. The word Lord means sovereign king. It's like he said, in the year the earthly king died, I realized he he wasn't really king at all. I saw the real king, and he was sitting on a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. I wish we had time to talk about these creatures. They had six wings, and with two they covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of angel armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. I'm I'm, I'm undone. I'm lost. I'm wrecked. I'm ruined. That's what the word means. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of angel armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Wow. Wow. You see what's happening with Isaiah? Everybody's running away from God. He runs to God, and he sees the true king, and he sees him on a throne, and the the, the hem of his garment, just the the end of his robe, is billowing out over the whole temple. You know how big that is? Get this in your mind. See it visually. Think of two football fields side by side, and the hem of of God's robe, the mighty king, it's it's covering everything. That's cool, but it meant a lot more to them than it does to us. Here's why. Because in that day, everybody, ancient kings, pagan kings, Jewish kings, all of them, when they conquered another king, you know what they did? They cut off the hem of that king's robe and sewed it onto their own. And so the longer the hem of your robe, the greater the conqueror you were. And Isaiah is going, Uzziah's died, but my king conquers everything. And that's why you can suffer well. You can suffer forward. You know why? Because his robe right now is billowing over the hospital room that concerns you, over the doctor's report that concerns you, over your bank account, over, over your prodigal, over your marriage, over your depression, over all of it. It covers it all. You don't have to be afraid. But then Isaiah does get afraid. 
Because the place is shaking and there's smoke. And, and, and he's hearing angels, holy, holy, holy. And he goes, wait a minute. I'm seeing God himself, and he's holy, and I'm not holy. I'm a young prophet. I can't even speak holy words. And he goes, I'm, I'm lost. I'm wrecked. I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm going to die. I've seen the king. Then it gets worse because one of those mighty angels takes a burning coal from the altar, and he's coming for Isaiah. I've never understood why we've looked at that passage as a, a really nice, good, cool, wonderful thing. What would you think? If you realize that you were sinful in the presence of a holy God and you see a mighty, monstrous, almost looking angel creature bringing, coming at your mouth with a burning coal, it would not be a good day. Isaiah's thinking, here it, here it comes. I'm going to be burned alive. And he touches his lips. Maybe he's screaming. Touches his lips. And then the angel says, see, see. There's no pain because your sins have been taken away. Your guilt's been atoned for. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. Wow. You know what happened to Isaiah? The same thing that can happen to you. The same thing that can happen to me. Isaiah became so astonished by God, he didn't have to be afraid of the world anymore. And if we want to suffer forward, we've got to be more astonished by God than we are afraid of the world. More astonished by God than anything else in the world. We've got a whole world today full of every kind of distraction and entertainment and opportunity. And yet we're told that this is the most depressed, anxious generation in the history of our nation. Why? Because absolutely nothing's going to satisfy you when you suffer except God himself. We've got to come back to the simplicity of astonishment with God. And that'll be enough. Jesus is enough. He really is. Last thing, ask God to make you a sent sufferer. Ask God to make you a sent sufferer. In verse 8, Isaiah, you hear this great, this great picture of the triune God asking a question. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit having a little discussion. And I heard the voice of the Lord, Isaiah said, saying, well, whom shall I send? I wonder who will go for us. Now, Isaiah doesn't know where God wants him to go, what God wants him to do, what the results will be, or how happy it will make him. He doesn't know any of that. And he goes, me? Send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. <laughs> if I can just be with you. The answer is yes, yes, yes. Wherever you're going, please let me go. You know what the rest of chapter 6 says? Great, Isaiah, you're going to love it. Man, church is going to be fun. You're going to great children's ministries, tremendous music. Man, the pre, no, it didn't say any of that. He said, okay, but 90% of the people are going to hate you. They're not going to listen. Only a remnant will. Isaiah, still? Yes, send me, Lord. All right. You know what happened to Isaiah? What history tells us happened when he preached his last message? Pastor, I hope we don't ever give an invitation and this happens. They sought him in two pieces. In other words, he said, send me, Lord, in my suffering. And then he suffered more. You know, you know, what, you know what it really comes down to? Do we really, really believe that God is who he says he is, that this is a short life, and we're going to live forever someplace, 
And it's going to come soon. Because if we really believe that, then we'll be, we'll be willing and ready to offer our suffering to him and even to worship in the midst of it. And to be sent sufferers, suffering with a purpose, suffering with meaning. You know, it's 2,600 years since all this happened. You know, Isaiah's doing all right these days. He's not worried that he got sawn in two. He doesn't ever spend the day and go, oh, I can't believe it. They sawed me in two. This is horrible. What am I going to do now? I'm not worried about it. In fact, every single day, his words change the world. Can you imagine a Christmas without somebody saying, for unto us a child is born. (laughs) And the same holds true for you if Jesus will be enough. He'll use your suffering in this world, and then he'll take you to be with him forever, where your suffering very, very soon will be no problem at all. There's a promise I have for you. It's not from me, but I'll, I'll deliver it to you straight from God. If you're willing to say, Lord, I may, I may have misunderstood here. If suffering is the key to revival, how I suffer, then I, I'm ready to offer it to you, worship you in the midst of it. And then, Lord, I just, I'm going to live a simple life. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love each other. I'm going to love the lost. Can you imagine if every church started living that way? We don't have time to be fussing about silly stuff. It's not about us anyway. Can you imagine a thousand years from now, a church trying to explain to God why they argued about who was going to be on some committee or what the music's going to sound like? Can you imagine how stupid that's going to sound? <laughs> no. If you're ready today to say, Lord, there's some things I have and I don't want, some things I want that I don't have. and So, Lord, I offer it to you. I worship you. And I say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Let my suffering have purpose Do what you said you'd do by faith, Lord. Build my endurance and my character, my hope, my joy through the love of your Holy Spirit. You know what God says? He says, I hear you, and here's my promise. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, it's not going to last much longer. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore or revive you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. So to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word amen means yes. So when you're ready to say you're yes to God, here I am, Lord. Yes, send me. Then he speaks his yes over you and everything changes. And that's how we suffer forward. You know, I really think it might help us If we could just sometimes see those who are experiencing revival, who are suffering well in the persecuted church. We hear stories, but we don't often see it. Today, I want you to see it. Usually, we can't show videos like this because somebody's going to get hurt or killed or imprisoned. And it's a long story why this one is okay to share. But I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that you live in a country right now where... um, you do have to gather quietly and secretly this morning. Somebody is looking through that peephole um, to make sure of whether the door needs to be opened or he needs to turn around and say, everyone prepare yourself. We're about to suffer. That's where you live. But you've offered your suffering to the Lord. He really is enough. You love him so desperately. You're so astonished by him like Isaiah that you're just saying, Lord, here's my suffering. If I can just be with you, it's okay. I rejoice. Here it is. I worship you. 
But the worst suffering you have in your life is that you don't have this. How you've longed for it, for the Word of God in your own language. But you've never had it. You hear bits and pieces from those who have told you about it and you've written some things down. But oh, to just have His Word. To be able to read it unrushed. To hear Him and love Him in His Word. And you suffer because you don't have it. And then, and then you do. Can you imagine that moment when the Word of God comes to you for the first time? Let's not imagine it. Let's see it. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it sounds like. Watch. And that's the church. That's revival. And it's not that complicated. You can get started right now by deciding that before you leave this room, you're going to say to the great king, I want to love you like that again. You remember that? Remember when you loved him like that? Is it a little distant? Do you remember when you loved his word like that? Well, let that day be today. Let it be right now. And ask him and he'll revive that love for him and his word and he really will be enough. And I'm praying right now for everyone who suffers, for every one that he brings you to, for that great moment to come when there'll be no suffering anymore. Stand up with me if you would please and here's what we're going to do. Um, some of you have not met Jesus and you know that's what you need. Maybe you didn't know it when you came in, but you do now because he's speaking to you. So there's going to be pastors here at the front. Your pastor, others if needed, will be here. And why don't you just take a step of faith and just step out and come and say to the pastor, I, I need Jesus. I don't want to leave here without knowing him personally. Others of you, you know, you just watch this. You, you can be a part of the church anytime you want. You don't have to hide. But you're sitting out there, and you've been sitting a while, and you had not joined this family. Come on. This family needs you, and you need them. You need to come forward and say, I want to be a part of this family. Nailing that down today. For all the rest of you, here's something that God may lead you to do. There's an altar right here. You want to get started suffering forward? You want God to bring you into the midst of the revival he wants to bring? Why don't you just come and offer your suffering to him? Remember, it... it it may not be a big deal right now. It will be someday. And then it won't be at all. <laughs> That's what suffering is. Sometimes it's intense. Sometimes it's small. But all of it, when we offer it to Him, and when we worship through it, it builds us. 
and then it'll be gone, never to touch us again. So I invite you here. I'm going to be here because sharing the first service, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night. You know, jet lag's kind of tough. I woke up in the middle of the night and some things were hard on my heart and I struggled with some things that I have that I don't want. And uh, I want to offer that to the Lord today. Maybe you want to join me. After just a little while, I'm just going to stand up and pray over anybody that wants to come. And we're just going to offer our suffering to the Lord and we're going to worship and then he's going to send us and great things will happen. Come on, you respond as God leads you and come talk to the pastor or come join me here now as the music plays and let's bring our suffering to him in worship.